Welcome to Horror Strap. What's up, horror babies? Welcome back to Horror Struck, a horror commentary podcast where we look at the genre through the lens of a diehard fan and a scaredy cat. I am Riley Ott. I am joined by my co-host and best friend, Cecilia Talbert. This week, we took a look at the 2020 film, His House, directed by Remy Weeks. Spoiler warnings for His House. There will be all the spoilers. What have you been up to? What are you, what are you, what, what's life? Hi. Um, what have I been up to? Nothing. I I was trying to think. Okay, goodbye! <laughs> That's a wrap. No, I was trying to think on the way home today. I was like, what have I watched or read or, like, done lately that I could talk about that you don't know about? Nothing. Nothing. I know everything. Yeah, probably. The last time I watched a movie was 12 hours ago with you when we watched a movie. We watched Nightmare Alley. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I I would like to sit down and watch it again. Agreed. Because at one point, I did take an edible and was high out of my mind by the end of the movie. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I liked it a lot. And I have not read anything. I've been in a huge slump. I've mostly just been watching, like, a sketch comedy show on Netflix that's, like, 15 minutes long each episode is. That's all I'm doing. What are you doing? It's been fine. I think my brain is broken. Uh, what? I finished another Lock and Key volume. There's only one more, and I didn't realize. Now I'm sad, but I'm very excited to finish the series. And then to flip over to to Netflix to watch the adaptation are they making more of the books i think they're done they've done a couple like one shots um involving the story it's not like a continuation of the main narrative and i'm sure that means nothing to netflix because they adapt stuff all the time and make it go on way too long like 13 reasons why should have ended after the first season and they stretched that to like four or five yeah and i'm intrigued to see what the show does because i'm pretty sure the first season ended where the books end sometimes things should just end and i i wish that television would notice that like things can be a limited series it's fine nah no never dare they Oh my gosh, Book of Boba Fett. I just watched the new episode. (sighs) Yeah, this show is all over the place. I've heard the last episode was really good. I haven't watched any of it. The last two episodes have been good, but they haven't had Boba Fett in them. Okay, that actually is what I have been hearing, is that everyone hates Boba Fett in the Boba Fett show. Well, he's just boring. Which is unfortunate. The actor's good. They couldn't pick a lane for for what they wanted to do with his character. They're jumping all over in time. There's a bunch of different things happening. Like, they just reintroduced Luke into the... We just saw Luke Skywalker again. We saw Ahsoka again, which makes sense because she has her own show coming out. But I'm just very fed up with the fact... I assumed Luke's new Jedi Order would be like, it's okay to have some attachments as long as they're not toxic, but no, you can't have any attachments. Okay, well, no wonder his nephew tried to kill him. Or, oh, he tried to kill his nephew. I'm wrong. Well, I'm like, didn't we learn that forbidding attachments is makes people keep secrets, like a secret wife? Oh, yeah. And then when That's what they have crazy visions of your secret wife dying, you don't tell anybody, so you go to the dark side? Luke, that's why you're an orphan. Maybe he should have thought this through. 
But then again, it's all he knows. I don't know. I haven't watched any of it. All I know is Mark Hamill is going to be on the new Mike Flanagan show, and that's all I care about. You should watch Mandalorian. It's really good. I watched the first episode, and I couldn't get into it. You should keep watching! No. It's so good! I can't. One and done. That's fine. That's what I always say. You watch any any kind of horror stuff? Did I? Doesn't sound like it. I'm almost done with Archive 81. Wow. Sounds really good from your tone. I think when it first dropped, everybody was talking about it, so I was expecting more. The last episode, episode seven, was pretty good, but I just... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll see where I land once I watch the last episode, but... I've heard that the ending is good, but the journey to get there is very boring, and it should have been, like, an hour and a half movie. I do kind of want to listen to the podcast that it was based on before I watch it to see, like, compare and contrast the two. I could definitely see how this would be a very good podcast series. Anything else to talk about? No, we could talk about the movie now. That would be fine. Yeah, this week we watched 2020 Netflix film His House, directed by Remy Weeks. Wow, what an interesting movie to talk about during America's Black History Month, a movie about Sudanese refugees that takes place in Britain. We're doing everything right. Yep. It's fine. (laughs) There's a lot of themes of like colonialism and nationalism and microaggressions and racism. And we've got all that stuff here. Uh, What do you mean? (laughs) That racism doesn't exist anymore? Racism's bad. Yeah. You want to talk about it? About racism... Yes, but we should probably talk uh, about the movie first. We'll we'll intertwine them. I'm sure we'll find a way. Yeah, I think we're going to find lots of ways. Uh, this is a really, really good movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. And it's so available. Just go to Netflix. Yeah, I don't know what the like reception was when it first dropped onto Netflix. I haven't seen a ton of people talk about it. If you're looking for something to watch during Black History Month or literally whenever else... This is a, a a good movie. Yeah, I I feel like the general consensus, at least in the horror world, is that everybody likes it. So yeah, it's so hard to um like gauge that just when you look at things like IMDb. IMDb is so dumb. No, I think the general population is dumb, and a lot of people. First of all, this movie is uh I guess what we have decided is called elevated horror. And I feel like a lot of people go into horror movies just looking for jump scares and fun. And this is not fun. So I I can't imagine a lot of people like this as a typical cookie cutter horror movie. There are certain horror movies that their main goal is to, let's say, scare you. Whereas I feel like this one is not only trying to terrify you, but it's trying to tell you something. And, you know, sometimes the scariest things about life uh, actually aren't ghosts. It's the trauma that you carry with you. Yeah, there's a lot of things that this movie wants to say, wants to have a conversation about. And a lot of that is about morality and PTSD and what makes a person good or bad and just things in general about the state of the world. I did so much research on the history of Sudan. Wow, really? 
I didn't do any. Oh, I've got... Uh... When you said you were doing research, I was like, oh, I don't have to do any. Oh, no. You probably should not, have. At least not on Sudan. Because I am not the smartest person, but I can write things down. So you know how I said it was It was interesting that we were talking about this movie, and it was set in Britain, but it's about Sudanese refugees? Britain fucked Sudan. I started this research back in the 1800s, the late 1800s, is when Britain decided to invade Egypt. And at this point, Sudan was not a country. It was just an unclaimed territory. So they took control of that as well because they needed, basically needed control of the Nile River so that France wouldn't invade. So it it goes all the way back to the 1800s, leading to now as to why this civil war and all of these coups and tribes fighting each other and within themselves have been happening. So I found it really interesting that they decided to set this in Britain, because that's where it all started. Just speaking in generalities, um, imperialism really fucked over the whole continent of Africa. Oh, yeah. Between Britain and France, it's fucked. Yeah. No, that's really interesting, though. I didn't know it was... I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I didn't know it was Britain specifically. Oh, yeah. Up until... Oh, man. What year even was it? It was not until, I think, 1960... I'm going to say definitely the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't until... Well, Sudan didn't even become an independent country until 2011. It's the newest country in the world. So it was not originally Sudan. It was, I don't remember what the territory was called before Britain invaded. It started with a K, but then it became the Sudan. Now it's just Sudan, but within the country, they're split between North and South, which is where the conflict is, because the North is primarily a Muslim nation. And that's basically become that way just to appease Egypt, which had co-rule with Britain up until very recently. A lot of the South, where the main characters in our movie are from, were under, like, missionary rule. So a lot of that region is very Christian. But the North started pushing the Muslim propaganda, basically, onto them, which is what sparked a lot of the conflict. There's a lot. It's it's really, really interesting. Something this movie does really well is I think you don't need any of that background no. to understand what these characters have gone through. I think knowing the background adds a depth a depth to it, but the the filmmaker, the director and writer of this, Remy Weeks, he does a really good job of letting you know kind of where the characters are and what they've been through without over-explaining anything. No, I completely agree. I don't think that you would need to go into like a very deep dive of any of the history to, first of all, to sympathize with the characters if you have like an ounce of compassion watching this movie. But I do think there is a really interesting scene with the main woman in the movie, her name is Rial. She goes to the doctor and she's talking about, you know, the experiences and she brings up the the doctor's like, I like these marks on your skin. And she talks about the two different tribes in South Sudan that are fighting with each other. And there's, there's a lot of interesting things because it's basically, if you know anything about either of their cultures, Rial's appearance is a mesh of all of these, and it's because she 
is basically trying to fit into both, which kind of leads her fitting into nowhere, which she takes with her on her journey when she gets to England as a refugee. It's her trying to find a place to fit in again. And it, I just thought it was really interesting. There are two tribes where I'm from, and they're both killing each other. Depending on which one you belong to, you mark yourself. I marked myself with both. I survived by belonging nowhere. I love the way that they handle the ghosts in this movie because they're actually there, but they're also... Ghosts are definitely a stand-in for the trauma that will always kind of be with you. So you could really look at this movie and I think interpret it both as the ghost being there and the ghost not being there. I agree. And they do a really, really good job of using a lot of symbolism in the movie when it comes to the ghosts. I do have one more history thing and then then I will shut up about it. Yeah, no, tell me. I'm, I'm fascinated. So remember back in like... 2001-ish when everyone's like main issue and what we're going to donate and focus on was Darfur. Yes. So an interesting thing that actually really fucking sucks is that's when um, Al-Bashir was in charge and he's like in international court now on trial because he was a dictator and really fucked over Sudan. A lot of people in the Dinka tribe, it's the Dinka and the Noor tribe that are in South Sudan that are having the war amongst themselves. A lot of the Dinka people ended up fleeing to Darfur oh. three years before the the mutiny happened there. Oh, man. So they fled from this dictatorship with all of this war just to be fucked when they thought they were going to be refugees in a neighboring country. And a lot of countries around them have fucked them over because a lot of oil-rich companies like um, Libya weren't allowed to provide them any aid because that's when Gaddafi was in charge. They were just... Big old mess. Fucked all around. And I... Yeah, it's, it's a really big mess in Sudan. Yeah, sorry to bring the mood down. I mean, there's no bringing the mood down. This movie is a... It's not uplifting whatsoever. It's a heavy introspective of what it is like to be a refugee and to immigrate. And what do you what do you take with you? What do you leave behind? What you need to do to fit into this new society? Do you know that Darfur was also colonized by Britain in the 60s? Britain fucked us all, and that is the moral of the story. Britain fucked everybody. Ugh movie housekeeping um it was beautiful the acting was great and i love it this movie is very beautiful it the cinematographer is joe willems they also did the movie hard candy i love hard candy they did a couple of the hunger game movies the later ones the production designer is jacqueline abrams she did the lobster if you've ever seen that oh okay i haven't but i've seen um what's the one the favorite I was like, Killing of a Sacred Deer? Sarah loves that movie. She talks about it all the time. Oh, he did that one too. I haven't seen it either. No, I haven't seen that, but I've read the whole plot and it fucked me up. The music is done by Roque Banos, I believe. They did the music for the Evil Dead remake and Don't Breathe. And I just wanted to mention those because this movie is very well crafted, I feel like, on every level. Props to everybody who worked on it. When we watched it, there was a point where a lot of movies with black characters the lighting 
they get a little washed out. The lighting in this was really good. Everything, like, on their skin tones and everything looks really, really fucking good. If you're ever interested in how they did some of the visuals for this movie, there is a pretty interesting YouTube video. I think it's called Frame by Frame, where they show you the special effects and, like, the layering they did frame by frame. It's really impressive. Okay, I will watch it. I'll link it down below, so if anybody wants to watch it, but it was really interesting. Okay, perfect. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all I wanted to mention, because I can mention the actors as we get into the craft. Into the craft? <laughs> into the plot? What am I saying? Yeah, we're gonna watch the craft now. Let's jump into the plot of his house. So our movie begins with a nightmare. So our main actor, Shape Dirasu, he plays Bull. His nightmare is him walking through Sudan, carrying a child. It flashes to them getting on a truck, and then they're on a boat, and then people are in the water drowning, and then he wakes up. Pretty rough start to the beginning of the movie. Yeah, pretty much telling us, here's some hints at what is going to haunt these people. They're PTSD nightmares. And he wakes up to his beautiful wife, Riel, who is played by Wunmi Musaku, who I fucking love. I love this actress. I have seen her in a handful of things, and she's always the best. Yeah, she's in Loki. Great in that. She was in Lovecraft Country. Best part of that show. I know her specifically from a black lady sketch show, which is fucking hilarious. And also the end of the fucking world. She is in, I think she's only in season two. She plays a a detective that's like trying to figure out what's going on. And I loved her in it. Yeah. And I think she, oh, I don't know if she won. She might have gotten nominated for a BAFTA for this. BAFTA Film Award Best Leading Actress. She was a nominee. She deserves it. She's fucking great. I mean, both her and Chopin are, they're both fucking amazing in this. They're so well cast and their relationship is so believable. They're husband and wife. Absolutely. Yeah, they have great chemistry throughout the film. They play off each other really, really well. They do the the tension really, really well when it comes towards the end of the film. Yeah. I do not have complaints anywhere with their acting or anyone else's acting in the movie either. I don't know if I really have any complaints with this movie. (laughs) I don't either. I was trying to think of some. I was like, I really can't. It's really perfectly made. But yeah, so they are at the moment kind of staying in temporary housing while they're awaiting like their immigration hearing, essentially. They're they're trying to get asylum because they're refugees. It is really funny because when Bull wakes up from this nightmare, Rial is staring at him. Their banter back and forth is so funny. What did you dream about? Oh, what did you do? Explains the screams. It is nice that, yeah, you get a few scenes of them being very much husband and wife. So you can tell that, like, this is why they're staying for each other and, you know. Yeah, because there is a choice at the end where they could stay together or go their own ways. And I think the fact that they stay together is believable. Absolutely, yeah. Get that nice, cute little moment. And then someone runs by and is like, hey, come to the gym. We need to talk to you guys. And the roommate has absolutely no hope. He tells them. There's no hope. Like, do not get your hopes up. They're all bastards. They're just going to send you right back. Which is also ironic. That seems to, if he thinks that's going to happen, it probably happens often. 
that the people who yeah. basically fucked over your entire country, you're coming to them for help and they're just sending you back to get slaughtered. They go right from the scene to them at their immigration hearing or their asylum hearing. You pointed this out when we were watching it. Anytime there seems to be a, a character that is British and in authority, they seem to be very, not only emotionally distant, but physically distant mm -hmm. from Real and Bull. Like in this hearing, they're on the other side of the gym. They're on the other side of the gym, and yet you can still very clearly hear these people whispering in front of them. They ask where Naya is, and they're like, oh, that was, that was their daughter. She's dead. And they're basically whispering like that at full volume. They do obviously get basically put on a probation period. They're not citizens, but they can go out into the world. They're being released. There is no rhyme or reason for why they're actually given asylum. They just got lucky. It seems like they're only getting asylum because they pity them because their daughter died on their way here. Yeah, and I think another thing this movie does really well is that there is a reveal towards the end of the movie that changes the context of a lot of how you see the characters and does have a lot to do when they start seeing the ghosts. One of the ghosts they see the most prevalent is that of Nyagak. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give a, um, a I'm sorry disclaimer <laughs> up top. I'm trying really hard to pronounce everyone's names correctly, but I can hardly speak normally, so please excuse me if I get anybody's name incorrect. To be fair, you're very inclusive when it comes to that. You can't pronounce anyone's name, regardless of where they're from. I know. I also can't tell any. How old do you think Nagak is? Um, like 10, maybe? Okay, I was thinking like 9. Between 10 or 12. Probably. Then again, she could be younger, she could be older, she could be a child soldier. There's a lot happening in Sudan. There is a reason why we're seeing her ghost the most. For a very, very long time in the movie, the reason you think is because they have lost their daughter, and so the ghost shadow of their daughter is haunting them. There is a bigger truth behind that, but in a way it's still sort of correct. We get a very small glimpse of how she dies and when it brings this theme in because we get that in the opening with Bull's dream but then it brings in this theme of morality because you don't really know what happened but they introduce a motif of them basically saying that we are good people we are the good ones into the movie in the very beginning so just keep that in the back of your mind yeah I think also the idea of having this movie, a lot of the symbolism of this movie centered on water is really interesting because water is considered to be like the most valuable resource. It's it's the secret to life, but yet it encompasses so much death for these two. And that really sucks for Sudan because it's a landlocked country. No wonder everyone is dying. Yeah, the little bit you do get of Rial and Bull's journey is is pretty sad because they were able to cross through Sudan to get to the ocean in hopes to get on a boat to make it to England and their first boat capsizes. And so you can only speculate that a good majority of the people of that boat died because how many people are really going to know how to swim on a landlocked country? I don't even think we have to speculate. They're all living in the walls. They said, this is the people who died. <laughs> yeah. Here they are. 
Bull and Real are just kind of lucky. Something opened up. They get to live an asylum life. It's a test to see if they're one of the quote-unquote good ones. They're given all of these rules. They're given 74 pounds a week to live off of, but they're not allowed to supplement their income, so they can't get jobs. They kind of just have to prove that they can acclimate, and then they'll get another hearing. It's setting them up for failure. There's a line that Matt Smith, who plays this, like, basically social worker who is there to check up on them throughout the movie. Yeah, his name's Mark. Rial comes out, obviously not used to having such a big space just for the two of them. She's like, is this really all just for us? Oh, Home. Speaking of my house, I think you two are going to be all right. As long as you can get along, fit in. We are not going back. That's the spirit. Make it easy for people. Be one of the good ones. He was basically saying, because their house is very run down, there's holes in the wall, there's bugs all over the place. They're living in, like, the projects, essentially. It's the projects, basically. But I feel like these people are almost, like, saying, here, here's some scraps that we gave you, you better really appreciate this, like, gaslighting them into thinking that they have it great. And I'm sure in comparison, they absolutely do. But it's just a weird, like, don't bite the hand that feeds you situation, and I hate it. Well, and that's something that even Mark says. It might be later. I think it's later when Bull asks them to, like, move houses. People, not me, but people are then going to ask, why is he biting the hand that's feeding him? Which is also a very bizarre phrase to use. Like, the, the British is keeping these refugees as pets, essentially. It's a very bizarre and terrible dynamic yeah and just because you give them a house that might have more square footage than what he has i'm sure his his apartment is much better than a roach infested house where the power doesn't work and nothing's been cleaned and who even knows if there was a ghost or a night witch it could have just been black mold making them both hallucinate Bull and Rial leave their hearing. They ask where they're going. They're not told. They ride a bus all night. When they get to their new house, the driver literally throws their stuff out and just drives away without saying anything. They don't even know what city they're in. At one point, he asks someone, he's like, we're in London, right? And the guy's like, sure, whatever you say. I think they end up being in, like, Essex, I think. It said at one point, like, on a sign, I think, of the church, but I, who cares? It's some... Shitty it doesn't part, probably of like northern London. I really like the character of Mark, the social worker that Matt Smith plays, because I think he is one of the few characters on the outside that I think Bull and Rial directly affect and change, start to change toward the end. Like the way he treats that at the them at the end is markedly different from how he treats them in the beginning. Yeah, he starts to actually treat them as people. There's that awful line that he says where he tells them, like, try to be one of the good ones, not realizing what that actually means in this context. And, like, that is a microaggression. That's a very fucked up thing to say to someone of any minority. Yeah, it's really sad because... Matt Smith is essentially like a social worker, but yeah, so he's so desensitized by the people he's trying to help. And I think part of it is also a mark- microaggression because 
Bull has a line as Mark is showing him through the house. Bull says, I used to work in a bank. This is when Mark says, yeah, me too. Or it might be later, but he does reveal at some point that he also used to work in a bank, but his job was moved overseas. So he kind of got stuck where he's at. And so I think he's got this this aggression towards um, the other that stole his job. Well, and there's, especially in primarily white countries like here and Canada and Britain, there's this sense of pride in nationalism. So immigrants or whatever, or people overseas stealing, quote unquote, your jobs has become such a weird topic. It's a weird thing that a lot of people hang their hats on. And it's absolutely not true. No one is stealing your job. No. They're taking jobs that people don't want to do and then severely underpaying them for it. It's being mad at an effect as opposed to the cause. So not looking at the bosses who moved the job, you're looking at the other people who are like, yes, I would also like a job. I will work that job. Well, that's what a lot of politicians do, too. They try to shift the blame when really we should be mad at whoever was in charge of England in 1882 and decided to invade a bunch of countries. The fucking domino effect that led to this. This is a very poor analogy, but it's like if your significant other cheats on you, you're more mad at who they cheated with than them. Yes. It's not apples and oranges but that's kind of like the attitude it reminds me of britain is a big slut (laughs) and we shouldn't be mad at sudan for getting wrapped into their drama yeah i agree all right what else is going on they do have a lot of hope i think their first night even though they're in a shithole i think real says we're born again Mm -hmm. and so there is this level of hope you see their relationship they're very close they're just kind of sitting on the floor together and listening to music on a bull's phone and then the creepy stuff starts happening real must be asleep bull is downstairs he hears humming when he goes into like the living area, it sounds like there's something in the walls. Bull does also have um, a little bit of PTSD when he's hearing the sounds of the people drowning on the boats or on the boat. That's not great. And then uh, as he follows the noise that sounds like there's something scurrying in the walls, he looks down into a hole that's in their wall. And he doesn't really see anything. But as soon as he moves, you as the audience, sees their their dead daughter behind them laying on the floor and then a crow flies right at the camera so it's very very well done jump scares where they're building this tension and it's got a great payoff you remember last week when we complained for an hour about sinister and their jump scares this is how you do good jump scares yeah this is really effective This has meaning behind it, and it's not just a cheap scare to remind you that you're watching a horror movie. Yeah. Also, I really like when the crow flies out of the wall and Bull's just like, this is a weird country, as if the walls in England are just filled with crows. (laughs) Filled with birds. (laughs) Like, that's what we use for insulation. It's just full of birds. Yeah, so we know something's up. We've only gotten the first taste of the creepiness that's going to come. Good first scare right off the bat. And this is what leads Bull to start fixing up the house. Fuck these crows. (laughs) Gotta stop the crows from coming in. (laughs) Yeah, so he starts kind of doing renovation on the house. Bull tries to throw out their daughter's doll that Rial held on to. She sees it in a trash bag and has to pick it out of the trash bag. 
which that might be another symbolism of how they're dealing with their grief and trauma. Oh, absolutely. They are uh, in very different places when it comes to their daughter's death. Bull wants to just move on. He doesn't want to think about it anymore. He just, he wants to start living his good English life. And he tries. He he goes and he gets out of the house and he hangs out. Gets a haircut. By a white barber and his hairline was fucked for the rest of the movie, the back <laughs> of his head, they fucked him up. I, I hope he found uh, someone else. Yeah. It was a white barber. Yeah, so. it was bad. But then he, he gets dragged into some church by some weird man. And thankfully, they're nice to him. Yeah, they're just like, we know like there are some refugees going to come to town, essentially. So they've made like care packages. And they're all just in the basement drinking beers and watching football. And Bull really takes with this. Like, I can fit in here. I can sing the chants back with them. I think it's really interesting that the first thing that Bull changes about himself is probably the one most personal thing to everybody, and that's his hair. And that's the first thing before he does anything else. Yeah, his hair and his clothes are both some of the first things that he... He tries to, like, assimilate into this new British culture. And that's also really interesting because when you look at Rial's clothing, they speak Dinka through the movie. That's the, the tribe in South Sudan and it's the native language. But when you look at what she's wearing, she wears a lot of, like, very flowing dresses and she's very, like, covered up. But if you look at the actual, like, Dinka culture and their aesthetic. They wear minimal clothing. They wear a lot of like corsets. They don't have a lot of like flowing stuff. It's all very tight. So it's it's very interesting to see her. She's already, it appears to have tried to assimilate to one culture that may not have been her own to fit in and stay safe. And now she's basically refusing to do that again when they get to England. Yeah. And it's definitely a shield for her, I think. Back home, she definitely just wanted to confuse people. People so that no one could pinpoint exactly which tribe she belonged to. Bull is so ready to move on. He is forcing changes. He is not letting anything her just naturally get acclimated. He's not even trying to like compromise on anything. He's just literally looking at pictures no. of white people on a display at the mall. And he's like, well, there's my happy white family that I'm going to try to have. So I will copy them completely and not have any sense of individuality. It is interesting to see um, the different sides of the spectrum that they're both on. Yeah, so Bull does the whole football thing. It's very funny. He and he and Real had this conversation where he's explaining his his time at the football game and the chant he was singing. And she's like, that's not even a good song. It's the worst song I've ever heard. And I think she's joking. She's still trying to be lighthearted. But you can tell she's like, what is he doing? Why is he trying to fit in so hard? Yeah, and then we get our second spooky night, which is she goes to sleep. Bull wakes up because everything is really loud. So they're not used to all this noise from just like traffic and everything and people like screaming outside being drunk and all that but then he hears footsteps in the house downstairs so he goes to check on it and that's when you get the only time i've ever seen wallpaper be really creepy which is just the wallpaper in the living room starts to just peel off the walls the walls underneath 
are gross. They almost look moldy. There's holes in them more than what we already saw. I don't know what it is about that effect. I think it's because when the wallpaper is coming down, it looks like an invisible person is just peeling it. It doesn't look like it's naturally falling. It's really freaky. Yeah, it's very unsettling. He's trying to to turn the light off and he can't do it because... That, you know, everything in this house is broken. And he notices in the, the hole that was revealed from the wallpaper peeling that there's something just kind of hanging out of it that doesn't really look necessarily like wires. So he's like, I know how to solve this. He goes over, just starts yanking on it. And he yanks on it. Uh, the light goes off, keeps yanking on it. It turns into like rope, like from a ship. And then you get all this like seaweed and all this gross stuff. And at the very end of it, is his daughter's doll. At the same time he's doing this, you see a blurry figure walking up behind him. It's very creepy, very effective. The rope gets yanked back in and then you start to hear humming in the walls. None of it's good. Not good. I wish instead of when he said I used to work at the bank, I wish he would have said I used to be an electrician so that I'm not so furious when this man is just yanking wires out of the wall. I know. We're both like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're going to get electrocuted. Your day in England is not going to last very long if you're dead. I am so impressed. He does, I think it's the next day he's able to like get some of the, <laughs> the lights working and the fact that he doesn't do a very pretty job yeah. with it, but he does it. I don't know how. Maybe he watched a YouTube video. That's how I learned how to do most stuff he had a scare that night can't go to sleep so he decides i better just peel all of this wallpaper he does that and that's what real kind of wakes up to and she sees the trauma vision of her daughter uh, in the truck well and she sees all the wallpaper on the ground and she isn't even faced she's like oh guess i better clean this up and just starts yeah just starts my husband sweeping things up and then yeah she gets that crazy ptsd vision when she looks into the the hole in the wall of the the kids in the back of the truck. Yeah, it's really sad. But that's okay, because Bull is at, I think, Pound Mart, and he is uh, just getting, obviously, he can't afford expensive things because they're not given a lot of money, so he's buying things to fix up the house, and one of them in particular is a hammer. Oh, we need that to fight off the witch. I like the symbolism of the hammer, because I think it's both a tool to create and a tool to destroy. It just depends how you use it. Depends which end you use. I could destroy something with the back end of a hammer. You can take nails and you can fix something and build something. Yeah. Yes, yes. Or I I could smash it to bits. No, I see what you're saying. I was like, you don't really use the other end of the hammer, Riley. But I could. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I think it is good symbolism. And it's what are you going to do with these tools that you are given in life? Are you going to build or destroy? Brielle decides time to go to the doctor because there's nothing else to do. And probably because it's probably a rule that she has to go. Oh, it's very upsetting because Mark has only drawn her a map of how to get there. This neighborhood is just like cinder blocks. Everything looks the same. She gets lost. And when she finally gets to a point where she sees like some young black kids like messing around like in this vacant lot, she's like, I will go talk to them. I'm sure they will help me. I also think one of the reasons is because there is a later on when she sees the vision of like her old schoolmates they they do that like their version of going woo like you're here we love you oh are you talking about the like the throat sound that a lot of african and um i think a lot of uh south american 
countries do that? Because everyone was really confused and upset when Shakira did that at the Super Bowl one year. And she's like, I'm half, I don't remember what the the nationality was, but she's like, yeah, I'm half this. And that's a like a celebration chant in that country. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's almost like a trilling. I know there's a name for it. I didn't write it down. I'm so mad. But that's what the boys are making. That's the sound the boys are making. And I think that's why she went over there. That makes sense. Because she didn't realize they were mocking. Well, and if she was dumped into this part of the project as a refugee, she may also think like, oh, there must be other refugees from where I'm from or close to where I'm from that maybe I could communicate with. Because she does try to speak to them in Dinka first. And they're like, what the fuck are you saying? Yeah. They're not nice. English is not her first language, although she speaks it very well. And they make fun of the way she says church. Can you help me? You're right. Where is Church Street? Pardon? Sorry. Church Street. Touch Street. Church Street. They don't treat her very nicely. They're mocking her. Uh, Somehow she does get to the doctor, though. I still have no idea how she did it. And the boys, before they give her three different sets of directions, or I think after when she's walking away, they shout, like, go back to Africa at her. And I think that's a really huge glimpse into, as young black people in a predominantly white country, that's probably something they have had shouted at them. So it becomes this issue of, like, in internalized racism and nationalism that's affecting them as black people from this country. Yeah. And now they're just projecting all of their own issues onto this poor woman. Yeah. But she does somehow make it to the doctor and the lady is very nice, but you can tell she is very ignorant in the ways of the world. Um, She's trying to relate, but it's hard for her because I feel like she probably doesn't know any black people, especially no one from Africa, any, any African country. Right. It seemed, yeah, like she was just a doctor who did this pro bono like once a month or something. Because that's usually how free clinics work is that a local doctor will donate a couple hours, like a week or a day a month to work in the free clinic. So she probably doesn't have a lot of refugees coming into like her private practice using their own money, the fucking $99 that the government gave them to get an appointment there. Yeah, and she's trying to be compassionate. I just wish she would have (laughs) phrased it better. Like even just off the bat, like, hey, I don't know anybody from your culture. Could you explain it to me? And I feel like that's something that people in general should just get better at saying. Because there's this weird like standoffishness and like embarrassment when people don't understand something when you could easily just say like I don't know this can you explain it if the person is comfortable or you could actually just get on fucking Google and find loads of information and if you know you're going to be interacting with people from this country maybe learn something about that country but it does make me wonder like how much did she actually know because it seemed like it was something like hey there's a free clinic here you want to go check up, just show up and they'll get you in. Like, it didn't really seem like the clinic was probably given a heads up. But yeah, she she tries to be compassionate. She asks Riel about her marking. She's trying to make some sort of conversation. And I don't think Riel takes it too personally. She is fairly open with how she responds to the doctor. These I've had since I was a little girl. These I gave to myself with a knife. And I found my family butchered. There are two tribes where I'm from. They're both killing each other. Depending on which one you belong to, you mark yourself. I mark myself with both. 
me not knowing enough about either tribe, I, I don't know which one she originally came from. But I don't think it matters. Yeah, that was the point of her protecting herself from both of them, essentially. Do you have a daughter? You could bring her here. And Rial goes, you know, we lost her when we crossed the sea. Very sad. Yeah, she really trauma dumps all over this doctor, which is fair because she has not had anyone to talk to since yeah, she's gotten no there. Like even Bull has just been. Bull won't talk to her about it. He wants to forget it happened. Yeah, he at one point, I think it's while they're having dinner this night. She tries to speak to him in Dinka, and he's like, speak English. We're in England. Speak English. He's just trying to forget all of their past. Yeah, so after the doctor, Rial gets home. She also went to the grocery store. You get that weird moment where, like, she catches that white girl, like, peeing outside of on the yard. Just (laughs) fucking trashy. How disrespectful. Like, this is these people's homes. I don't know if that girl lived there, but... To be fair, at least, they were like, oh, shit, there's someone who lives there. So how long has that house been vacant for? No wonder it's such a shithole. Oh, God. Do you think their house smelled just like human piss? Probably, yeah. And bird shit. But they should be thankful because it's so big in there. But the most important thing about um, her being home by herself at this moment is that she has her first interaction with the Apeth where I think it's like little, I think it's tangerines that like fall off the table and they roll into the hole and then she starts to hear whispering and she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it's something. I, I thought it was apples, but it doesn't matter because that's not the point. The point was, there's ghosts in the walls. There's ghouls in there. That's not good. Witches and ghouls and ghosts. She's okay with it. She's like, yeah, I deserve this. This is fine. There's ghosts in there. She's much calmer about what's happening than Bull is. But I think it's because Bull is trying so hard to not acknowledge anything that's happening. Whereas Riel's like, yeah, of course this is happening. Well, I think Bull is also right now in the camp that he is a good person. And he is trying so hard to keep up this image of being a good person. And things like this don't happen to good people, so they're not happening to him. And he's kind of just disillusioned right now. There's no ghost in the wall. It's fine. Everything's there fine. There are a lot. I feel like in some African religions, especially, there is more of a belief in like the actual spiritual ghosts and demons. So it seems just like another part of Riel's culture where she's like, yeah, of course this is real. Yeah, so much death and horrible things have been following us that of course they're here now. Yeah. Uh, Bull gets home from whatever he was out doing. Fine silverware. <laughs> Rial has made a delicious spread of food. She's laid out a blanket on the ground because, you know, back where she comes from, back in Sudan, they eat on the floor. It's just their culture and they eat with their hands. Bull is like, one, this looks really good, but we should eat at the table next time. And two, here you go. Have a fork. All you can taste is metal. You'll get used to it. Dude, what is the big deal? There's so many finger foods that we eat here. Just let this poor woman eat with her hands if that's what she wants to do it's not like you're out at a restaurant you're just home with each other right i think that's what it probably is in his head is like oh if we were around white people right now this would be embarrassing they'd be mad i don't want to embarrass myself i want to fit in as well as possible so i need to start pushing these social norms on her before we actually have friends and have jobs and start yeah interacting with 
the people who live here. The white folk. The white folk, yeah. There is a moment where Bull brings up, yeah, there's lots of jobs here. You know, we'll be able to start a family here, which is fucking harsh for someone who just lost a child and has not had the chance to properly mourn. Rael just looks him straight in the face and tells him that story about the apath. She's like, let me tell you what's really going on here. In our village, there was once an honorable but poor man who wanted a home of his own. He wanted it so badly he began to steal from others. One day, he stole from an old man who lived by the river. He didn't know that this man was an apeth, a night witch. And so the thief could not know that when he built his home, the apeth too would live there. She's like, an apeth has arisen from the ocean. It's followed us here. We don't belong here. I really like this. Because watching this the very first time, you think it means one thing, but when you're watching it back, it definitely has a double meaning. Because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh yeah. They're turning their back on their culture. Yeah, basically. And they're adapting or stealing this new country's culture. And that's why they're being punished. But turns out they... no, nope. there's Something else happened that... Uh, something else. Changes your perspective entirely. Rael says, um, if they go back home, their daughter will come back. As they're arguing, she is shouting bulls like she's dead. Rael responds in dank, she lives. And they go back and forth in English and dank between she lives and she's dead and it's beautiful. Oh yeah, and this is when he's like, speak English. And she's like, she's dead. Like, oh, this is, this is a lot. Yeah, and she looks him straight in the face and goes, you're a liar. <laughs> Which seems so out of place until uh, you realize why he's lying. Until you find out. I still don't know if this man is lying or if he has just started to, yeah, believe himself. I think he's just says trauma. But yeah, now we get a freaky ass ghost. Yes, because uh, all the creepy things happen at night. It's very funny because at night is when bad things happen to Bull, but during the daytime is when, like, Rael communes with the ghost and only, like, good things happen. And that's because I don't think she necessarily sees it as a bad thing, whereas he does. Yeah, the juxtaposition of that is really, really interesting and in how they're both dealing with this trauma. I... I don't think I even connected that before. We get one of the scariest scenes. So I assume Rial is asleep. Again, of course. She's not haunted by the ghost, so she sleeps okay. Not not haunted by the ghost in the same way Bull is. Bull is staying up late to fix the walls. He starts to see ghosts. He starts to see his daughter, who's on the ground rocking, comes at him with a knife. Uh, she is wearing a creepy fucking mask and is trying to hurt him. There's a very funny moment where he does the right thing, which is he runs out of the house, but he goes back in because his neighbor is looking at him and he feels judged, so he'd rather deal with ghosts of dead dead people than his white old lady neighbor who is judgy. I'm on his side. Yeah, absolutely. The ghosts seem a little bit easier to deal with because this woman is, I'm sorry, but she's a cunt. She sucks. She's such a cunt. Dude, she basically, and I, I don't know if she says it now or later, but she's like, why don't you just go back? They're going to kick you out anyway. Just leave. I'm like, this lady fucking sucks. Yeah, but he's decided, I know why the ghosts are coming at me. And that's because we haven't burned every single thing we brought with us. So he collects everything they brought from their home, sets it on fire. And that includes 
So on the doll that their daughter had were beads on the bottom. And earlier in the movie, Rael took them off and like made them a necklace. He rips that off of her and throws it into the fire. And this was the only thing that she was basically begging him. She was fine with whatever else, burn it, who cares? But like, do not take the one thing I have left of my daughter. Nope, destroyed. And you know what? It doesn't even work, bud. No. I'm sorry, there's still ghosts in the walls. Must be something else. The next day is when he goes, he gets the white people clothes. Uh... Oh, and that security guard follows him around at the mall because he's black. Fuck that dude. Fuck all these white people. Yeah. And uh, Bull works on fixing the walls and Jerry rigging the electric up. Right before dinner, Bull walks into the kitchen and he catches Rial clearly having a conversation with a ghost that he can't see. Like she quickly like quiets downstairs at him. <laughs> And dinner is awkward. Dinner's very awkward. Real is trying. She moved to the table this time because he made such a big deal about it. She's like, we're not like them. He says we can be. Yeah, apparently she's not trying hard enough because he wants her to get out of the house. He wants her to start trying. But the last time she went out of the house and talked to people, she got harassed in the street. So I wouldn't want to either. And then she says this badass thing. Maybe you are mad, frightening yourself with imaginary things in the dark. After all we've endured, after what we have seen, what men can do, you think it is bumps in the night that frighten me? You think I can be afraid of ghosts? It says I can get her back, and it says I should be afraid of you. And I love the sentiment that, yeah, real life trauma is kind of scarier than ghosts. But when it manifests into ghosts, that that's still pretty scary. But yeah, and then she's like, I know how to get our daughter back. And you're like, oh no, what's she up to? Uh, yeah. And then you get that beautiful scene where um, Bull is aggressively eating dinner with, and it just kind of starts really close up on him and pans out. And it's all the trauma that he is in and he's trying to ignore. It's him like in the kitchen, but the kitchen is floating in this pool of water. This, I think, is my favorite shot of the movie because you've got... It's beautiful. Basically ignoring everything that's happening, but this, like, wall is crumbling behind him that I assume represents this new life that he is trying to have, but everything is falling apart because he's not acknowledging where he came from or how he got there. And then you see a bunch of dead bodies. And that shit was freaky. A bunch of ghosts rise out of the ocean. And then you see the paths start to come for him. But he wakes up. And he was like, ah, it was only a nightmare. Oh, but then I think he hears footsteps. And he's like, oh shit, ghosts are here still. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, bad things happen to him at night. So he hears noises. And when he goes to check on them, um, you get a really great setup where... He keeps seeing ghosts, but every time he's able to turn on the light, they disappear. And then there's a moment where almost gets attacked, turns on the light. He's okay. But then he looks over and sees the ghost of his daughter, who then turns the light off so all the ghosts come at him. Oh my god, this scene is so crazy too, because it's a room full of ghosts and her that are attacking him. And she's got a knife to his throat at one point, and he finally gets the lights back on before they can actually hurt him. And the acting in this is great. He is 
fully traumatized. Yeah. And he shouts, this is my house. And then he takes a hammer and starts to destroy the walls. He said, you can't live in the walls if there are no walls. (laughs) And that ends up not being great because the next day he thinks, okay, if I move, the ghosts will stay, right? So I'm going to go ask Mark if he will get me a new house. You know, Mark is just like, well, you got to give me a, a reason here. Um, like, you know, your house is bigger than mine. And someone in the background's like, yeah, your house is bigger than mine. We're going to have to do an inquiry because Bull says there are like bugs and rats and stuff. And his wife is sick. Yeah, he's like, we're going to have to send someone out, but it's going to raise a red flag. And they're going to want to know why you're not adapting. And poor Bull's like, I am adapting. And then Mark's like, no, you're stinky. You smell bad. The line is actually funny. He's like... You don't smell good. You smell bad. I don't know why, but that line just made me laugh. Uh, it's the way he says it, but it also does seem like another microaggression where he's like talking to him like he's a child. It's just the idea that like you have to take whatever, the, whatever scraps are given you because you're not allowed to complain. No matter how bad it is, you're not allowed. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Right. It's that like double-edged sword though. Like I can completely understand why Riel is eventually like, I want to go back. And Bull's like, do you remember how bad it was there? But it's pretty fucking bad where they are now, too. It's just bad in a different way. Because he looks like he's lost his mind at this point. He's sweaty, seems a little bug-eyed. Oh, he's got that big bandage on his hand. Yeah, he has a glass of orange juice in his hand, and he shatters the glass in his hand, and then he just kind of runs off, and they're like, come back. Well, and I think, didn't he cut his hand before that too like he goes all bandaged up because he was when he was fucking around with the wires in the wall yeah he cut himself yeah yeah he looks rough ryle's just hanging out at home and she looks over and sees her daughter kind of just drop the burn necklace that she was able to get out of the fire for her so that's nice i might take back what i said this might be my favorite shot when they show her sitting in the house with all the new holes in the wall and all the the ghost faces are like looking out at her. Oh, it's so creepy. It looks fucking incredible though. This whole movie is gorgeous. And there's something so haunting that, yeah, she's just kind of sitting there and taking it all in. She's not like freaking out. She's kind of like, yeah, this seems about right. You know, it's really ironic that this movie is so beautiful because it's a lot like Possum. Like, It's so dirty and grimy and gross, but the cinematography is great. Oh, beautiful. This whole movie is really beautiful. But yeah, they got an inspection to get to. Bull literally, uh, because he just ran home. As soon as he gets back home and his neighbor is just like, you should just leave, whatever. The social workers all show up. It's Mark and like his assistant, I guess, or whoever else works at the the agency. They're just like, oh my god, you put so many holes in the wall. You know, we're gonna have to take pictures of this. Mo's like, please don't. Oh yeah, he's like, were they rats with hammers? What is going on here? Mark is about to just be like, you know what? If you can fix this, we'll just kind of ignore it. But then Ryle walks in. She kind of breaks the spell because she is just in the closest version of her own traditional garb she could make because, you know, Bull burned all her stuff. Have you told them about the witch? There's a great beast in this house. It followed us here. My husband's been chasing it all night with a hammer. It knows great magic. It's filling this house with ghosts. It torments my husband with visits from her. Yeah, I guess. 
Oh, and she's wearing like a like a bed sheet, basically. Yeah. Oh God. She doesn't come off well to these white folk. So as they're leaving, they're like, "Wait, we gotta write them up." Yeah, something weird is happening. Maybe they're crazy. But really, it's just a cultural difference, and you know, you should learn to listen when they talk to you, even if it's about a night witch. It could be real. I don't know. The social workers leave. Bull and Rail get in the fight. Bull will not let her say, "You forgot your daughter." Like he cuts her off, and he says, "You're sick." That's a hint of a reveal we're gonna get in just a little bit. What do you guys at home think it is? He's like, "Okay." It's time to deal with the witch. He essentially locks them inside the house. He breaks all the the doorknobs and the things that would open the windows so they can't get out. Uh, And he's like, I'm going to talk to this apath. So he uh, gets his hammer and then he takes a candle, puts it in the center of the living room and lights it and says, I'm going to have a conversation with uh, you, Mr. Apath. And the apath shows up. It's very cool. You get this like fire, like like an outdoor fire kind of. The apath says you need to repay what you owe. What do you want? Your life for Niagak. What? Take this knife and open your flesh. Your body for us. Bull's like, you know, you're just a picture. You can't actually hurt me. He even puts his hand in the fire. It's not real. But then he remembers that he has PTSD. So maybe some pictures can hurt him. We cut right from here to his wife just looking him dead in the face. He's comatose on the couch. He's wet himself. So he hasn't moved at all. She's like, this is the perfect time for me to leave. She tries to get out the door. Bull tries to stop her. She stabs him with a screwdriver, locks him in the kitchen, and then she jumps out a window and ends up in the past, sort of. So she's going back to her past, kind of. But before he wakes up, the path gives him these visions of like his daughter drowning and like the people who were trying to get on the boats that like the the little life rafts that the English people were getting them on are all like drowning at sea. And then I think that's what wakes him up because he's like, oh, fuck, I have trauma. And then kind of snaps back into reality when Rial is trying to escape. Rial has packed back. She's like, I'm fucking going back. Which her husband has been a little controlling, so I I understand. Yeah, once he starts breaking all the doorknobs and, you know, giving you no option to leave your house, that's probably a red flag. It's probably bad. But yeah, anyway, best scene in the movie. We go uh, back to Sudan. Yeah, she falls out of the window and into Sudan, which she's very confused because it's like she just walks into a courtyard. And she has a friend come up to her and give her a hug and they're like crying and hugging each other. And her friend leads her into the the schoolhouse and all her friends are there and they're all crying and hugging. And then they all sit down, I guess like the oldest lady there, who I think is a representation of the apath, but doesn't look demon-like, is just like, hey, I need you to realize what the truth of your past is. That is where we get the big reveal of the movie, which is... We flash back to the events that actually happened before they left Sudan. Bull goes and grabs Rial, who was hiding in like a cupboard in the school. And that's the only reason she survived that massacre. The rest of her friends are dead. Oh my god, it's so good. The scene is so powerful. It's fucking brutal. But it is. It's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, and um, Bull gets her out of the school and they get to a bus. Bull can't get on the bus because there's no more room. And so he looks next to him. 
and there's his daughter, but it's not his daughter. He just picks up this child who you've assumed was their daughter this whole time and says, this is my child, let me on the bus. So their daughter, Nyagak, is not their daughter. They literally Titanic stole her, pretended she was their child so they could get on the lifeboat. Yeah, you said that when we watched her. Like, it's like Cal in the Titanic. I was like, oh my god, he did do that. It was played for a laugh then, and this is not humorous whatsoever. Yeah, because as the bus is leaving and you hear gunfire, Nyagak's real mother is running next to the bus screaming her name, and the daughter is screaming back for her mom, and it's just very upsetting. When they get onto that truck that you kind of got a glimpse of in the beginning, Royal like hugs her and says, I'm going to protect you. You are mine now. Since my husband is a shit and separated you from your mom, I will protect you. And I think that's also why she's so broken. It's because she made this promise and she was not able to keep it. And I think that's kind of what led her into this delusion because I, I don't think she fully knew that that was not her daughter until she has this vision or she obviously knew before that but but the trauma has yeah has made her become so disillusioned that she wanted to believe that that was what really happened so that she didn't have to live with all this guilt and think that she was a bad person and didn't deserve this new life yeah the boat collapsed and everybody drowned except them so sad all of the symbolism with this girl that they stole is so interesting in hindsight now that i actually know things about this civil war in Sudan because it seems like a literal representation of these child soldiers. Like we are taking these innocent lives for this rebellion or whatever so that we can have this life that we want and just the the comparison because they've got the Red Army. I believe that's the one that the South Sudan, that whole country, I guess, territory has, but in the north they have the SPLA, which is like a socialist militia of child soldiers as well. I don't know. I thought the use of of her to represent all of the child soldiers was... Oh, that's really interesting. The color symbolism, because the outfit that we see Royal wearing, she climbs out of that cupboard, is red and blue. When we get a little further at one point, she's like, I think I'm going to paint this room red. I was like, I wonder if that's also a connection back to these, like, child soldiers that were in the part of Sudan that she lived in, because they were the Red Army. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. I hope any of that made sense. No, that all made sense. This movie's so fucking good. Yeah, and so she wakes up from her truth vision of what really happened, and the Apeth essentially tells her, Sever his flesh. Give me his body, and I will give you what you want. The Apeth shows her a knife. Yeah, it's a it's a kitchen knife, which I like because of the symbolism of society. They're like new English society. Oh yeah, the silverware is coming back to fuck him up. You do have a moment where Rael is considering. You can see her contemplating, but then when she looks back over, the knife is gone because it was on the kitchen counter. Bull has just taken the knife and slashed his arm and he gives this beautiful speech where he's finally accepted the trauma. I should have tried harder. I should have saved her. I see them too. I see her. All of them. From the boat. From home. 
And what does that make us? I need to sacrifice myself for her. It's the right thing to do. Man, and it's so fucked up when you talk about morality because this is just what he had to do to survive. It's not necessarily his fault. It's imperialism's fault. It's the British government's fault. It, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. It's very human, the survival instinct. It's like, what makes a good person? I don't know. Would you have done the same thing if you were that desperate? I don't know. I don't know. I hope to never find out. Yeah, so the Apeth uh, smells his blood, cracks the floor and comes out and starts to put his hands into bowl, like literally into his flesh. It's so creepy. It's so upsetting. It's very Dr. Sleep. Yes. When they're, yeah, when the Overlook ghosts are like fucking up Rose the Hat's face. And he also looked a lot, and we said both of this these things when we watched it, but he looks a lot like the Moonlight Man from Gerald's Game. Yeah. Which is why I wasn't afraid of him this time. I had to take my glasses off last time, the first time I watched it, because I was like, this guy's really scary, I'm going to have nightmares. But it was only, I think, like two months into us doing the, the podcast. So I'm much braver now. You are a lot braver now. I'm so brave now. Nothing has ever scared me in my life. At this moment, Royale still has a flashback to where she's sitting amongst her old dead friends. And she looks at the path. I have to say goodbye now. I'm going home. And then it cuts to her slitting the Apeth's throat to save her husband. Who even knew that was an option? Good for her. And I love that she says she uses the word home, which she's never used through the whole movie. Her coming to terms with, you know, yeah, the past was terrible. Terrible, terrible things happened. But I'm ready to move forward with my life and make the best of it. And I think Bull trying to sacrifice himself really solidified that for her because she's probably like, well, I want to be, this is my husband and I do love him. Even though he's been acting crazy, I just want to be where he is. So we could try to make this a home. He's my home. Aw, beautiful yeah it's very sweet yeah so uh they did it <laughs> they defeated the witch and the ne- <laughs> the next morning cuts to mark and the i guess the people that are probably a little higher up in the agency who that come to do the inspections are there with him and they're inspecting the house rail and bull have done a lot to fix it they fixed pretty much all the holes in the wall um, it still looks a little rough, but you can see their effort. They put a they put a rug where the path hole was, which I think is hilarious. As long as no one steps on it, that's just become a booby trap. I mean, I think the idea is we need to hide this for now. We'll fix it when we have more money. Yeah, we just need to not get kicked out for right now. Yeah, and Mark kind of just seems to really be warming up to them. Because even though the other inspection people are being very snotty, being like, well, they they shouldn't have done that. Like, fix the holes in the wall. And he just kind of shoes them out like, don't worry about it. You guys are fine. You can stay here. He kind of gives them a smile. Huh, maybe these are real people. Maybe I'm growing. Maybe refugees were real people the whole time and not just my weird pets. Yeah, maybe. I do like, though, when he's like, what's going on with the witch? And they're just like, uh, Riel killed him with a knife. It's fine now. We're good. I don't know if he necessarily believes their story, but he does ask about their daughter. Do you still see her? Your ghosts follow you. They never leave. They live with you. It's when I let them in, I could start to face myself. 
it's just really beautiful. It reminds me a lot of the devil's backbone, that line at the end with like the ghost frozen in amber. Yeah, it's just a beautiful acceptance of, you know, your trauma that's happened and that the only way to be able to move is to face it. But it's always going to be there. And then we see all, all the ghosts and they're not scary anymore. They're just these people from their past that they have learned to live with these like memories of, even though a lot of them were not very good. It's all the, the souls that they, they're going to always carry with them because those people didn't make it. But they did. Their survivors' guilt ghosts. Well, and I think it's also just like, I'm not going to let their sacrifice be in vain because I made it. Yeah. I'm not going to just pretend like they're not there. I do like also, there is a mix in their clothes at the end too. So you see the like mixing of their cultures, which I think is really interesting. I think the most important shot of the movie though is just that end shot where they're standing by themselves and they look directly into the camera and then we just go to black. The movie did such a good job of having you relate to them, to understand them and to not judge. And it's just like, we're just like you. Do you see us now? And it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's very powerful. It makes me want to cry thinking about it. So I've seen the movie three times. I watched it when it came out. I watched it once with you and then I watched it again to do all my notes and stuff. I was a mess every single time. I think you and I, when we watched it, we both got real quiet. I was like, are you crying? We're "We're not crying. (laughs) We're both crying." crying. It's so good. I love a horror movie that makes me cry. This This is my favorite genre. I love a horror movie that has something to say. And it's not that I don't like all the trashy ones too, or the ones that are just there for fun. There is something more impactful about a movie that really has a message and and has a purpose. Yeah, these are the ones that have actually stuck with me. And these are all of the movies that have been like my highest ranking movies. Most of the like, quote unquote, elevated horror that we have watched have all been fives across the board. Like they've been spectacular. And you can tell the amount of care put into the the project by the people making them. Well, I don't know if I have anything else to say. I really feel like I'm about to cry. I think we've talked a lot, so we can, I think, just jump into ratings. What is your general rating? Five out of five. This movie, I literally cannot find anything to complain about in this movie. And I love complaining. Every part of it. The acting is great. The cinematography is great. The story is great. Do you have anything bad? Tell me something bad. No, well, originally I was going to give this movie a four and a half, but then I really, when we talked about that at the beginning, like, there's something wrong with this movie. I'm like, oh my god, you're right. Five out of five. It deserves it. I, I can't think of anything to to make this movie better. No. Besides maybe a Bollywood dance number at the end. I'm just kidding. That would <laughs> that would not work. Culturally, um, that would be confusing, but it would be confusing. a little more uplifting, like a... That always threw me off when I watched Slumdog Dog Millionaire. I don't know. Could you imagine all the dead ghosts dancing to like some bo- yeah, it'd be <laughs> some song awesome. at the end? I think you're right. What is your horror struck rating? Okay, I don't know. Mine's like a. It's it's hard for me to judge too because I'm trying to be more more strict with my ratings and trying not to be so all over the place. So I think I'm gonna give it a. I think I'm gonna give it a two out of ten. I. And leaning towards the two, that's what I wrote down. Usually things don't scare me, but the, like, some of the visuals, like, the faces in the wall, like, still, like, I still see them and they creep me out. None of that creeped me out too much. There is that, that mask that... Their daughter wears? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That she wears that was pretty freaky. Night Witch didn't scare me this time. A lot of the, the ghost imagery was just really beautiful, so I didn't care that there were ghosts. 
There's a couple of good jump scares, though. I give it to just for the really well-executed jump scares. But yeah, that that was his house. Next week, we are going to be watching... What year did this come out? We're watching Black Box. Oh, it came out in 2022? I mean, 2020 also? <laughs> God damn it. Well, that was confusing. I was about to say, no, it came out in 2020. Next week, we are going to be watching the 2020 film Black Box. I don't know anything about this movie. Uh, we were trying to discuss some movies we could do to highlight some black creators. I wanted movies specifically that were like written and directed by a black crew. And I remembered watching the trailer for this when it had come out because this was around the time that Blumhouse had some deal with Amazon Prime that they dropped this and The Lie and a movie called Evil Eye all around the same time. And this seemed to be the most well-received out of all of them. The trailer's fucking crazy. It's, um, it looks like a sci-fi horror movie. And it's also like a mystery about this man's wife. And he has a bunch of memory loss. And he has a, a daughter that he's trying to raise during all of this. It looks really good. I'm excited to watch it. It's directed by um, a director I am not familiar with. Uh, he seems like a pretty new director. But his name is Emmanuel Osai Kufour. I'll learn how to actually pronounce it before next week if I did not get it right. Although I feel like I might have nailed it. But he uh, was raised in Texas and he is the, um, his parents are immigrants from Ghana. I am intrigued. I want to see a black cast. I want to see some black creators. I'm very excited. Yeah, and we're moving back to America for this one where it is currently Black History Month. Also, if anyone has watched Archive 81, the lead actor in that, who, even though I've been watching the show, I can't remember his name, uh, his character name, uh, that same actor is in this movie. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I looked that up, I think, last week when we talked about it. All right, horror fans, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Horrorstruck. If you want to hear more from us, you can head on over to Twitter and Instagram, where we are at Pod. Or you can check us out on Facebook at Horrorstruck Podcast. If you have any movie recommendations, you can go ahead and tweet those at us and give it your very own Horrorstruck rating. Until next time, horror fans, remember, stay spooky. Bye! Bye. <laughs>